Well, let's read together from the Word of God as we turn to the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're beginning to read at verse number 18. Much of Hebrews, of course, as you know, is a, a contrast between the old covenant and the new and the superiority of what we now have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And that theme comes out very clearly uh, in the latter part of Hebrews 12. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stone. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape, and they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What distinguishes Christians from other people? Well, there could be many answers to that question, many answers that people might give if you were to ask them. They might mention the particular values uh, that Christians hold, and those are becoming more and more distinctive as our culture moves away from its biblical foundations. It might be the attitudes that Christians express, answers like that. One answer I'm sure that many people would give is that Christians go to church on Sunday. Indeed, there are even some really keen ones who go twice. That amazes the world. They're amazed enough that people go once, but the idea they would go again the same day is baffling to folk. But Christians, they would probably define as those who go to church. Now, we might say many of these things are fairly much on the surface. They're outward things only, but they do point to an important truth The going to worship on the Lord's Day ought to point to something deeper than just an outward action. 
Christians are distinguished from others by our worship. And we're distinguished even from adherents of other religions by the worship uh, that we engage in. And as we think of that, Christians as those who worship, we have another good uh, means of evaluating our spiritual health. And so now today we come to the fifth of our studies, the next part of our spiritual checkup. We sit in front of the great physician, and the question asked today, do you delight in worship? Do you delight in worship? Do you want to think about the whole area of worship? Maybe we think we're so uh, familiar with it, we, we know what worship is and what it means, but it's good to stand back and just take stock and chiefly, of course, look at ourselves. How are we doing when we apply this test? Do you delight in worship? I want to ask, first of all, what is worship? What is worship? Sometimes you will hear Christians say, well, surely all of life is worship. That's something you will hear uh, regularly in some circles in particular. All of life is worship. You don't need one special day and and one set of, of rituals to go through. Everything Christians do is worship for the Lord. There's an element of truth in that, of course, because everything the Christian does is to be done for God's glory. No doubt about that. Everything is to be service for the Lord. So yes, that is certainly true. But the danger is that if everything is worship, in the end, nothing is worship. It becomes so blurred and so vague, we could scarcely say that there's anything distinctive about Christian worship. So that won't do. That is too general and it, it misses Really, what's the biblical view of worship? So how would we define it? I'm taking a a short definition from one theologian who often is very valuable, worth reading, Wayne Grudem. I disagree with some things. He's a Baptist and a few other quirks that I don't agree with. But when he's good, he's very good. When he's bad, well, that's a different issue. But Wayne Grudem says this, Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. That gets us, I think, to the heart of the matter. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our hearts and voices. It is a specific Activity. It's not just anything and everything that Christians do. A conscious approach to God that acknowledges his greatness, uh, his activities, everything about him in the way that he prescribes. And that's very important. We worship God as he prescribes. We sometimes in Uh, theology call that the regulative principle of worship. That's a big phrase, but it's really basic and very simple. It simply says we worship God as he requires, not 
with any idea we happen to get or I think God would like. God prescribes in his word how he is to be worshipped and what it is that constitutes worship. We're exhorted, Psalm 96 and verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So worship has specific content. The content that God says should be there. It's not just anything we do as Christians. Yes, do it for God's glory, we must. But worship is glorifying the Lord with our voices and our hearts in his presence. What we are seeking to do is we gather here on the Lord's day. We read from Hebrews 12. Why did I do that? Well, from verse 27 on, we have a, a powerful description of worship in heaven. But we are told that we have come to Mount Zion. That's why we're still here on earth. We have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly worship. The angels worship. The saints in glory are worshiping. And what we're being told there is that our worship here on earth is to be a reflection of worship in heaven. That's a striking thought. That underlines how important worship is. It's a reflection of the worship that's going on in heaven even now. We have come to Mount Zion. We worship God when as individuals, as families, and especially as the church, as we meet here today. We're using praise and prayer and everything that God prescribes to acknowledge and honor everything that God is. That keeps us God-centered, doesn't it? Often, sadly among Christians, the measure of good worship is how does it make me feel? Did that service make me feel good today? And if it doesn't, well, it wasn't really worship. And you think sometimes God doesn't enter the picture at all. God is the center of true worship. Worshiping as he prescribes to show forth his glory, his majesty, all the, the wonderful things about God that we know to be true. We acknowledge and honor everything that he is, using everything that he sets down for us. What is worship? Glorifying God and his presence with our voices and hearts and in the ways that he prescribes. What is worship? Secondly, why? Sorry, whom uh, do we worship? Whom do we worship? Well, maybe that seems obvious. But we're living in a pluralist culture, aren't we? And you will hear from all sides, well, every religion in the end is the same, and you're really worshipping the same God. You might do it now. An Islamic way, or you might do it in a Buddhist way, or in a Christian way, but it's, it's the same. It's the same God you're worshipping in the end. That's a pluralist outlook. When we turn to Scripture, we find something very, very different. And the truth is, when somebody says, really, all religions and all worship are the same, 
you can be pretty sure they have not done much homework in figuring out what the religions are about and what they teach. You couldn't possibly say they're all the same if you really knew anything about them. Turn to Scripture and we find a very different picture. Throughout the Bible, we find that there's only one true God who should be worshipped. And we are not at liberty to compromise that in any way. Exodus 20 and verse 5, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Jealous in the good and holy sense that God requires our complete, wholehearted, single-minded devotion and commitment and worship. Isaiah 48, 11, I will not yield my glory to another. It's a serious sin to worship any other dead, any other object of worship. So whom do we worship? Well, first of all, the God revealed in Scripture. And we're back to the Bible again. Because we said that worship is what God prescribes. And now we're saying the God we worship is the God revealed in Scripture. Through creation, we see something of God. But the knowledge that we need as Christians, the knowledge we need for salvation, is here in this book. We'll not be looking at a beautiful sunset or some of the uh, the majestic scenes in creation that will tell somebody they're a sinner who needs to be saved. They need the word, the revelation of God and scripture. We worship God as he tells us he is, not a God of our imagination, not the God that we would like to think he is, the God that he says he is. Here in scripture, We have the perfect, the unique, the God-breathed revelation. And to worship any other object or person or God or whatever is to worship an idol. And you can worship an idol that's in your head. It doesn't have to be a carving of wood or stone sitting in the corner. An idol is any object of worship other than the true God. So whom do we worship? We worship the God revealed in Scripture. And we can add, secondly, we worship the God who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't simply worship God in some uh, vague, poorly defined sense. We worship the God who is triune. That's fundamental to Christian Worship. This sets Christian worship apart from every other kind of religious activity. The triune God. One God in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And that does set Christian worship apart from every other supposed worship. Any other claims uh, to be worshipping God. It is the triune God that we worship. Whom do we worship? The God who is revealed in Scripture. The God who is triune. Any other object of worship, however worthy he might seem, is an idol. So what is worship? Whom do we worship? 
And then thirdly, we ask, why do we worship? Why do we worship? Why do we gather here on a Sunday morning when most other people are in their beds, they're out in their leisure activities, they're thinking about shopping, they're doing all sorts of things. Why do we do this strange thing? There was a day, of course, when multitudes of people, entire streets in this city, would go to a church on the Lord's Day. But now it is a minority. You know that wherever you live. You're not in a queue of traffic to get to church. So why do we do this? Why do we worship? Well, first and foremost, God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of worship. Again, there might be the temptation to begin with, what does it do for us? That's the wrong place to start. We worship because God is worthy of worship. And that is the fundamental reason why we do this. The triune God of whom we have spoken, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is alone worthy of praise and adoration and worship, all that we we seek to do in our gatherings in his presence. And indeed, he is dishonored if we give him anything less. There are people who think they are honoring God by doing much less than we do in worship. Maybe they say, well, yes, I pray sometimes. Whatever they mean by that. But to give God anything less than the worship he seeks is to actually dishonor him. Do you hear the song in Revelation 4 and verse 11? Here, worship in heaven. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. A mighty description. And we can never accord God too much worship. We never say to look, you're worshiping God too much. Ease off. You know, you're getting a bit too enthusiastic, but less worship would do. We cannot honor God or worship God too much or give him more uh, than he deserves. He's worthy of all the worship we accord. And indeed, our best efforts fall far short. So why do we worship? First of all, God is worthy of worship. Secondly, God commands our worship. God commands our worship. It isn't an option. Now, there are multitudes who ignore his command, but that doesn't change his requirement. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Matthew 4.10. Here's a God who commands worship, and his commandment requires Obedience from all human beings, not just those who happen to believe in him and trust in him and want to serve him. Every human being is obliged to worship God and they sin if they do not. Those who belong 
course, to the people of God. Delight to keep his commandments. Those who've experienced the the saving work of Christ in their hearts and love the Lord, how do they show their love? They show it by obeying God's commandments. John 14, 15, we often quote, If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And one of those fundamental commandments is to worship God. Why do we worship? Well, first, God is worthy of worship. We're not giving him something that he doesn't deserve. Secondly, God commands our worship. It's our duty as creatures as image bearers of God, that we worship him. That's what he made us for. And thirdly, we need to worship. Now we're coming to ourselves. We need to worship. That is, as I've said, what we were created for. We bear the image of God, and we respond to our creator in worship. We're made for fellowship with him, and this is one of the places where we experience and enjoy that fellowship. We were made for this. And if we don't worship God, there's a great lack in our lives. Now, people will try and fill it with all sorts of things and all kinds of activities and busyness, etc., etc. But that hole is there until it's filled by the worship of God. Worship expresses our relationship with the Lord. And it feeds our relationship with the Lord. You will not grow as a Christian if you are not a worshipping person, if you are not gathering with the people of God to offer your worship to him. We often term worship a means of grace. That's really the point that's being made. This is a means of being nourished in the Christian life, in being built up and strengthened and encouraged as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we neglect worship, then our spiritual health will inevitably decline. It's not simply that it might decline, it will If you are not a worshipper of the Lord, if you don't delight in worship, don't expect to be a healthy Christian. Because you won't be. It's like going on hunger strike. If you're not taking in the nourishment, then inevitably you'll decline. And spiritually, if you're not worshipping the Lord, your health will decline. So why do we worship God's worthy of our worship. God commands our worship. And we need to worship. We're made for this. People are seeking fulfillment, aren't they? Pleasure and wealth in many ways. But this is part of true fulfillment as a creature of God. So we thought about what is worship. We thought about whom do we worship. We thought about why do we worship? Then we come finally to how do we worship? How do we worship? We're thinking now about the attitudes that should characterize us as we draw near. Uh, The how of worship will, 
we've already said it's in the way that God prescribes. And we're not going to repeat that here. It's according to the scriptures. And we must be careful to observe what God lays down for us. But what kinds of of attitudes should characterize our approach in worship? How do we worship? Well, first of all, through Christ. Through Christ. We come and worship consciously depending on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking to him for access, for forgiveness, for obstacles to be removed to blessing. And the beginning of every worship service, we have that focus. We're coming through Christ, and we must do that. We're able to worship because of his saving work. Because he has forgiven our sin and given us eternal life. And we depend utterly on Christ. The mediator, we're told, the only mediator between God and men. 1 Timothy 2.5 So there is no other way of access to the presence of God in worship. There's no back door. There's no side door. There's no other way you can get in to worship. You must come through Christ. But then secondly, in the how of worship, we worship in the Spirit. In the Spirit. John 4.24, Jesus says to the woman at the well, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now yes, it's saying our worship must be Spiritual, our spirits are involved, but saying something far more profound. Jesus surely is talking about the Holy Spirit. To worship God in the Spirit it is to worship Him in the power of the Spirit, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 3 3 talks about worshiping by the Spirit of God. And if we come in the Spirit, he will remove our coldness, our lack of enthusiasm, our reluctance to come, and he will fill us with zeal for worship. That's why we're asking the question, do you delight in worship? And this is how you'll delight in worship, if the Holy Spirit is filling your heart So worship isn't a chore or a routine or something to be got through so that you can get home and get your dinner. It's a delight when the Spirit fills our hearts. It's something that we love to do. You can't manufacture that. You can't produce it artificially. It's the work of the Spirit. So we worship through Christ. We worship in the Spirit. We worship thirdly by grace. By grace. It's a reminder that even our best efforts in worship are always imperfect. We never worship the Lord as well as we should. That's true of everything we do, but it includes our worship. It is not perfect. So we come only by the grace of God that forgives our sin. I've said before, it was once uh, quite common to hear in our circles reference to, 
to purity of worship. It's hard to use that phrase without a little streak of pride in it. Our worship's pure. No, it isn't ever fully, perfectly pure. We need the grace, the forgiving grace of God. We worship the Lord as forgiven sinners, not as people who come to do God a favor by giving him worship. We come as forgiven sinners, amazed at the the privilege God gives us of standing before him and worshiping him. How amazing. We come by grace. And that's how we can come as holy people because God requires holy worshipers. Hebrews 12, 14 talks about the, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And you'll not be holy apart from the grace of God. We never forget we come to the Lord as forgiven sinners. We worship by grace. So we worship through Christ in the Spirit by grace. We also worship God with what I've called discipline. We give ourselves to worship. It's not something that just happens occasionally. And there are Christians who are very careless about worship, who go and worship if they feel like it today. And then one day they don't feel like it, so they don't go. And it's easier next week not to feel like it and not go. And often that's the start of a backsliding for Christians. They don't feel like it. So they don't do it. And before very long, they're not doing it at all. Very dangerous. We need to be consciously disciplined and committing ourselves to worship. We're not in a culture today, especially among younger folk, who value discipline and commitment to regularly doing things. Christians are to be people of godly discipline who commit themselves to the vital things like worship. They are determined that they will give themselves to it. It tells us how much you value a thing, how much attention you give to it. You give very little attention to worship. It's really saying you don't value it very much. We worship through Christ. We worship in the Spirit. We worship by grace. We worship with discipline. And finally, we worship with joy. With joy. To spend time in the Lord's presence as a child of God, among his people, ought to be something that rejoices our heart. Now it doesn't always. And there are the times we might sit through worship with hearts that know very little joy. Now there may be trials we're going through. There may be particular circumstances that take joy from us. And yet if we are focused on the God who gives us grace and salvation, the God whose spirit will fill our hearts if we seek him, 
There can be joy, as James reminds us, even in the trials and the struggles. It's a good test of our spiritual health to ask, do I find joy in worship? Does it delight my heart to come to God and to talk to him and to praise him and to hear his word? It gives us joy to have time with a loved one to talk, to listen, to be together. If that's not true of your relationship with God, there is something that needs serious attention. Joy. Joy in the Lord who saved us. Joy in the Lord who wants our worship. Joy in the Lord who pours out blessings on those who worship him. How do we worship? Through Christ, in the Spirit, by grace, with diligence, with discipline, and with joy. Do you delight in worship? How is your walk with the Lord? Do you look forward to spending time with his people in his presence. May we be those who delight in the worship God seeks through Christ in the Spirit for his glory.